Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's August 31st, 2022, and I am your host, Justin Nielsen. And also on the show with me this week, just like every week, it's Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. How are you doing, Arusha? Hey, Justin, I'm doing well. I, I can't believe the, the summer is almost over. It's the last day in August. It doesn't feel like the summer's almost no. over. It's hot. It's hot <laughs> over here. So we're we're looking at a heat wave. And uh, so, you know, to that end, I guess we should maybe talk a little bit about uh, what kind of natural disasters are coming up. And on the show, we're going to welcome back Andrew Channon. Andrew Channon is the CEO of Procure AM. Last time we had him on the show, we were talking about UFOs, space, defense, uh, all sorts of things that were really, really interesting. And now... Andrew, you've got something else to share with us. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well, and I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So tell us what you've been up to since you've been on the show last. Yeah, so we, we launched on June 1st, actually, the official start to hurricane season, the, <laughs> the Procure Natural Disaster Recovery Strategy ETF under the ticker FEMA, F-E-M-A. And this is something that we have been developing for a long time, and it's uh, something that has been... Uh, you know, c- kind of around my my life, um, you know, for for many years. Well, um, just you know, personal natural disasters and, and things like that. And it was something that just made so much sense um, to to combine these various companies from all different parts of the life cycle of natural disasters um, as an investment thesis for people to be able to consider. And so, um, after several years of working to develop this concept out, we were thrilled to to launch this on the Nasdaq. So you, you mentioned personal natural disasters. Are these ex-girlfriends or what, what personal natural disasters did you have? I guess I need to work on the phrasing there. But um, <laughs> d- d- during my junior year um, at Tulane University, we, uh, we experienced Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Um, it was displaced for, for a long time and fortunately was able to, to return to the university for my senior year when things were back up and running. Um, so I, I experienced that in the local community there with, that had you know, a very long-lasting a devastating impact. Um, and then coming up to, to New York City uh, after graduation several years later, um, being right here for Hurricane Sandy and experiencing uh, the many difficulties with that as well. Um, you know, natural disasters have been something that you know I've, I've, I've witnessed firsthand and seen how devastating they can be, uh, but also realize that there are a tremendous amount of companies that are in this area that do many different things um, you know, from the early stage, which is you know, things like preparation and preparing for inevitable natural disasters to you know, helping us get through those disasters. And then after that uh, disaster has uh, moved on, um, helping us get our lives back to normal. And there are you know, many different companies that specialize in these different areas. And um, you know, helping get us back, uh, get our lives back in order is something that's extremely critical and something you know, that I think these, uh, these, these companies should be championed for the tremendous work that they do um, for, for you know, people around the world, as this is you know, truly a global phenomenon, not something that's just local here in the United States. So um, something that we were excited to be able to bring out for, for investors. Now, is there, is there a pretty decent correlation between a number of these stocks and like hurricane season uh, or uh, some other kind of disaster that kind of comes around on a, on a cyclical basis? Yeah, you know, th- there can be. Um, and I, I know we'll, we'll certainly be speaking about some some companies, but there were some companies during the Texas uh, freeze where mm-hmm. the grid went down 
that their services were extremely or products were in extreme demand some um you know six months uh back orders for some important goods and services wow. uh in order to assist there um things like generators were extremely critical so you know you saw large sales and spikes of sales when you have events like this because people realize how important it is to to have stable uh power generation uh, companies like home depot and others in affected areas can also see um, increases in revenues as people are doing things like purchasing plywood or paint or uh, having to purchase you know, many new goods for their home after a storm has passed. And so you know, there, there are you know, historically you know, numerous types of companies that could see better uh, revenue periods from these direct events. Mm -hmm. Now, how big is the market here? I mean, you know, we, we certainly think of, uh, again, there, there's more and more dollar signs that get put to a lot of these natural disasters after they happen uh you, you kind of hear about how much damage was done but in terms of the companies that you're talking about um what kind of what kind of market do they have in terms of dollars that that they're going after here so there there is a wide range and there are many different statistics and numbers that people can look at uh, you know roughly over the last several years there has been roughly over $400 million in damages per day from natural disasters, roughly per day, per day wow. um, roughly $250 billion per year. Um, and these numbers have gone up significantly from earlier decades, which is one of the reasons that to us, this theme made sense specifically at this time. And you, know, you look back over since 1980, the cost of natural disasters have been to the U.S. roughly $2.2 trillion total. So that's you know, roughly 42 years. The White House came out in April saying that they believe that by the end of the century, the cost of the U.S. budget alone could be roughly $2 trillion per year. And so when you look at industries and project growth and things like that, um, you know, it's really important to understand where you are and where things may be headed. And so... Uh, natural disasters have been increasing in frequency and devastation as well as financial damages. And this is something that governments are taking seriously at the highest levels, understanding that you know, events will happen, but there are things that you can do both from the preparedness side, from the response side and the repair side that can be planned out you know, in advance in many cases. So whether you're a, a small municipality that might be in a, a high flood zone area or earthquake area, um, you know, whether you're a national government, making sure that you have the capabilities to respond to different types of events. I, you know, it, it's tough to find a place in the United States, let alone the world, that hasn't gone through some type of major event just over you know, the last month. You, know, you talk about heat and wildfires and droughts that are you know, major issues on, on the West Coast and even inland and across the South and flooding in Kansas just the other week. You look around the world, we were, we were talking earlier, Roughly one third of Pakistan is underwater right. from the recent flooding just this right. week. And these are major issues. These aren't going away. But the way that we can adapt and react to them, um, you know, it's up to us to, to come up with those solutions. And there are fortunately many companies around the world that are helping us prepare for these issues today that hopefully can, can make an impact and, and, and minimize effects in the, in the future. You know, and, and to walk, maybe walk through the process of how you ended up 
deciding to really focus on this. Now, was it kind of those larger trends that you were just talking about? Was it your personal experiences? Or were you maybe hearing from customers that, hey, this is this is a, a an area where we could use an ETF to help, uh, you know, pro- you know help uh, maybe hedge our portfolio against or maybe profit off of? Uh, you know, what, what was what, what's kind of that process? Because this is such a it's a really kind of creative uh, approach to uh, a very specific niche uh, in just an investing world. Yeah, it, you know, it's a combination of, of probably all of those factors. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having conversations with uh, with Barry Ritholtz uh, years ago about mm-hmm. this topic and, you know, having experienced, you know, these natural disasters firsthand. Um, and then ultimately seeing the growth of this industry. Yeah, it's 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 horrible that this has become a, a major growth trend right. but for investors that are looking to for all different types of reasons you might be an insurance company that needs to pay out massive amounts of money when you do have these types of damages um you know and and m- maybe this for some companies could potentially be a hedge or uh in- investors whether you're an individual or a hedge fund that's you know a tactical uh, fund that is looking for you know specific opportunities to to trade in and out of certain names around these types of events. Uh, you know, this wasn't made with just one end user in mind. I think there are a lot of ways that people may look to utilize the FEMA ETF in their investment strategy. Uh, but it was just very surprising that there hadn't been a way of combining these types of companies to build out this theme. So it was something that wasn't just uh, you know, overnight. Hey, let's do this. Russian put out an index and launched the fund. This was something that was uh, was years in the making, believe it or not. And um, you know, the reasons that people may consider investing in these companies that are in high demand, uh, you know, is very uh, you know, something that I think investors are looking for. Maybe they didn't uh, think out exactly what that thesis was, um, but we hopefully were able to provide uh, you know, uh, you know, over fifty companies from around the world specializing in this in this theme. Um, and put together this diversified basket to that extent. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's dive a little bit deeper because you you kind of gave us a structure already. You basically said that there are those that are kind of helping before the disaster, and that could be infrastructure detection warnings. Uh, there are those that are helping you during the disaster, and I mean that could be emergency vehicles and so on. And then of course there's the rebuilding. So maybe we could take these apart a little bit. Um, and why don't you go ahead and start with? Uh, fleshing out a little bit more for us the before you know what because uh, i think everyone's more interested in how can we prevent this as much as possible or at least mitigate the damage um you know because again you're, you're you're throwing out some big numbers and anything we can do to chip away at those numbers so what can be done on the on the early side the prevention side so on this side you know we will look at a lot of companies that do things like consulting engineering construction, you know, some of your, your heavy equipment companies as well. And what they'll do in some cases is you know, work with municipalities, work with governments, work with corporations and build out plans, actually figure out what's going on, what the specific risks to, to these areas, to these companies, et cetera. Um, you know, if you live in a coastal area, you know, risks could be flooding, could be hurricanes, tsunamis, things like that. If you live it along a fault line, earthquakes are something that could be of major concern. You know, wildfires and droughts are something that are you know facing uh, you know are issues that are that are concerning to many people around you know the United States and beyond as well as we have you know really hot summers, and so it's something that 
Um, governments are working with with large companies. Um, some of these companies are even partnering with company other companies like IBM, and they'll they'll do an analysis to to come back to different municipalities and say, hey, here are your major areas of concern. Here are your moderate areas of concern. These are your fairly safe areas. You know, if uh, a, if a flood came at a certain uh, you know height worth, you know, these would be the areas. These would be the things that you need to do as well as also just building out the preparedness and the response systems in advance. So you say, okay, we know that there's a X percent chance of this type of disaster occurring. Well, this is what we can do now. So maybe we build higher sea walls, maybe we build up levees, maybe we build up drainage capabilities and, and pipes and things like that so that we can get the water out of these areas faster. Um, but then it's also, okay, well, what is the impact to, to businesses and people? How do we get people out of these areas? And it's really having this plan so that when disaster strikes, you don't need to now build a plan. You can go back to your book and say, all right, here's our game plan. Let's go. Just like any you know, uh, highly competitive sports team would say, you know, they don't just get into a situation and wing it. In many cases, they build out plays and design these for these situations and scenarios so that they know how to execute when these types of events happen. So those well, are really your early stage types of um, things that you're focused on. Well, yeah, you, you were talking about flooding. Now, yeah, I mean, that, that's almost timely here for at least Justin and I in, in L.A. Because I, I guess some news came out over the last month that the biggest risk to Los Angeles might not necessarily be the earthquake. It might be the flood. I, and I haven't heard any plans yet, Andrew, on, on how they're going <laughs> to prevent that or, or help mitigate that. I think we just, we're going to have to take it. Well, you know, California does look at, you know, many of these things as well. So they actually put forward that, um, you know, hospitals in California need to be yeah. earthquake ready. Yes. So, um, yes. you know, they, they have a certain amount of time where they need to put these new infrastructure practices in place to make sure that hospitals are able to continue operation when you do have events like earthquakes, because it is a very high probability that that will affect um, a large portion of, of California. And so... Um, you know, although not every single risk can necessarily be quantified or addressed immediately, these are all things that that politicians, that that engineers, that um, you know, that people from around around the world are looking at these various uh, areas of concern and figuring out how to best address them. And you know, hopefully, you know, something like flooding will will also be put into that that process. But you know, a major issue is. When you have droughts, when you have more arid land, it doesn't absorb water as well. So the flooding right. becomes an even greater issue. So you might say, hey, you know, hey, it's been really dry. It hasn't rained here in California. You know, we'd love some some rain. That not might not necessarily be a positive thing if the yeah. water, if the ground is too dry to absorb it. So there's a lot of things that go into this this planning preparedness. And you know, fortunately, it has become something that at a national and a global level has caught the eye and, and seriousness of, of global leaders. And you know, although things take a while to implement, these are things that are being addressed and reviewed uh, you know, present day. Now, certainly with the hurricanes um, and, and, and a lot of these weather events, one of the things that has, I guess, has amazed me is that over the last few decades, how how good the forecasting has gotten. And a lot of people kind of, you know, poo-poo the weathermen and say, oh, well, you know, he said it was going to rain and, you know, this much chance. And um, I guess a lot of people don't realize how how good a lot of this forecasting has gotten. And so to that end, you know, when 
when we've got hurricanes and things like this uh, that that you can you can count on coming. It's just a matter of the size. Um, what kind of detection things and what what kind of companies are benefiting from uh, being able to detect, forecast, and do better at understanding the path of, of some of these disasters? Well, specifically, when you're talking about hurricanes, you know, we, we know where and typically what time of year they develop. And we have satellites, fortunately. So a company mm -hmm. like Maxar, which actually happens to also be in our space ETF. Right. UFO, we talked about that last time you were here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's not just monitoring uh, your national borders to see if countries are trying to cross over or build up military presences like we were talking about last time. Mm -hmm. They're also looking to track weather patterns and to track and detect storms because these have become some of our most useful tools to understand what's coming and how we should deal with this. And so early preparedness um, and then the ability to alert the public and, and authorities as to how, you know, what's going to happen and our best way to respond is absolutely critical. So the more time you have to prepare for these types of events, the better. And so, you know, we, we, we're getting better at detecting earthquakes, although you don't necessarily have a ton of time. Something mm -hmm. like a hurricane is a slower forming, takes a longer time to develop. And we're able to benefit from companies like Max are providing us with this real time information to help us better protect ourselves. So, so we talked about before the emergency, what about during the emergency? Uh, you know, what, what are some of the things that uh, municipalities, you know, and, and uh, cities can do? Yeah, so in many cases, you want to evacuate people. So you need to make sure that you have a plan for how to allow people to get out of these potentially affected areas. You also have first responders also coming in, knowing that they're going to have to, to deal with the, the you know, repercussions of this storm, whether that's yeah. getting uh, housing um, solutions in place for, for people that have been displaced, whether it's actually helping it to rescue people, whether, you know, your, your streets are completely flooded and you can't get out or you can't get access to food. Um, you know, emergency vehicles are extremely critical. Communications are critical in this time because in many cases, um, you know, power is out, communication lines are flooded and they've gone down as well. And it's really difficult to figure out what's going on and, and what to be doing. So, um, you know, equipment is extremely important. Uh, when you have flooding, you want to be able to, to pump out the water as quickly as you can. So you have people operating these and hoping to maintain power uh, when it's most critical to, to minimize these damages as well. So there, there are a wide range of areas that um, your companies can help fill that void to, to better protect us as well. Mm -hmm. And then, then, of course, finally, there's the, the rebuilding part. And uh, I guess even before you rebuild, there's almost uh that first part of for some of these businesses almost like a continuity issue you know before they maybe open their doors again um did you did you have your data secure did you have your you know stuff like that because I, I this is certainly where the cloud computing has come in handy uh a lot but uh can you describe a little bit about you know how businesses can get that continuity and and how that rebuilding process happens well, you know, for the financial service industry and many other industries, you know, one important part is, you know, having your business continuity plan, understanding that you know, disasters and accidents can happen and having that plan in place on how you can react and move forward is extremely critical. So things like having access to, to power, to clean water, to, um, to your communications as well is extremely important. The cloud has become extremely helpful. 
Um, you know, when I was down at uh, Tulane University after Katrina, the school wasn't able to access people's academic records. So how can you find another school to go to? Ultimately, we weren't able to provide any any college transcripts, and we had to go back in some cases and use our high school transcripts, which some people you know, didn't even know how to access either. Okay. But it was something that you, know, you, you didn't really think about at the time. And all of a sudden, when you don't have access to these critical, whether it's uh, you know, data and information, whether it's client lists you know, and so on, um, you know, being able to, to access that is, is important. Technology such as cloud computing is something that has allowed us to remotely access um, you know, valuable data and information, fortunately. Um, but you know, there, there's so much. You know, how do you provide goods and services to your, to your companies? How do you communicate with your employees to let them know, you know how, if, is the business going to be open? How do I get there if I have issues? What if I personally am struggling from the effects of the storm and I need to uh, assistance as well? Uh, so it, it's a very complex type of um, situation that you have, but many you know, large companies look, uh, you know, look out into the future and say, okay, how can we try to best prepare for these types of issues? Do we have other um, centers that we can go to uh, when you have these types of emergencies? Like after Hurricane Sandy, many buildings didn't have power. You know, many downtown companies didn't have power. Did they have right. other sites that they could go to where they could continue operations uh, and, and continue without major issue? And so these are things that the companies look at today to make sure that they're best prepared. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of get on the the. I guess the political side, um, you know, which also has to do with the money. Um, you know, we, we, we just had a climate bill, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act had had climate issues in there. Um, are there are there any bills or any talk of, of policy decisions here having to do with um, putting more money towards this? Uh, absolutely. And municipalities are, are doing that, you know, as we speak and, and have been doing for years. I, you know, I really believe, you know, Hurricane Andrew was one of those really big events that, you know, certainly showed South Florida, you know, how devastating a hurricane could be. But Katrina is something that seemed even more of a, of a national attention emergency. And it really put FEMA on the map as well right. as this agency that you know the u.s has here to help assist with uh you know numerous types of natural disasters and other events and although they did get criticized for you know different things that they either did or didn't do or didn't do well enough um it's helped them get a better um scope of you know things that need to be done so um, there's all different types of plans uh, many of the companies in the fema etf actually do have contracts or have recently had contracts mm -hmm. with fema um, so you know, these things are really important, but modeling is, is extremely important. Um, you know, after Hurricane Sandy, a lot of insurers said, hey, we're not going to insure these coastal homes unless you do X, Y, and Z to these homes. And so we even see engineering construction standards adapt with time and with more data that we have to say, hey, this is what you can do to better protect your home, your assets and whatnot. And so we, we've seen... Uh, whether the markets force it through, you know, insurances refusing to cover certain types of things, or we see governments get ahead of it and say, hey, you know, it's very likely that, you know, these water levels are going to rise to a certain point, or we're going to experience more heavy winds and tornado types of things here, or earthquakes or drought or flooding. Uh, I, I can't under, underscore how, how severe, you know, drought could be a major issue 
And that's something that uh, you know, the FEMA ETF has companies that are also trying to help address that as we go. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the companies that are making up this new FEMA ETF and uh, get a little bit of the story behind them, how they're helping uh, mitigate some of these disasters. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, traders, is inflation hurting you? Have you adjusted your strategies to account for it? Vantage Point can help you beat inflation with patented artificial intelligence. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's AI can give you a massive edge and help you get ahead of inflation. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and find your best entries and exits. That's www.freestockcoaching.com. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's your host, Justin Nielsen, here along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors. And our special guest this week, returning to the show, is Andrew Channon. He's the CEO of Procure AM. And uh, let's see, I, I kind of ended the, with the last question last time. So, Arusha, why don't you start us up with the first question this this segment? Yeah, so, Andrew, with the, with the ETF... Uh, was was there a kind of a, a a plan with the the sector breakdown here, or is that just the way the number of the companies I guess kind of lined up? Because sixty percent industrials, fifteen percent consumer discretionary, one percent energy. What was there some kind of plan with that part, or that's just kind of the way all all the disaster type of companies fall into place? Yeah, so you know it wasn't necessarily saying okay, you know right now the largest um, you know. Uh, sector is industrials followed by consumer discretionary yeah. technology and then utilities you know there was you know one or two kind of um rules that were put into place one was that um the, the companies wouldn't necessarily be defense uh defense companies okay um and then the other was that you know approaches to call it climate change um, have really kind of focused on only a few areas and it's either low carbon or they're doing things specifically that are green but a lot of them turn out to be renewable energy funds and i didn't think that we would necessarily be doing the investing community any extra service by just recreating another type of renewable energy fund mm, and so this really was geared to have an approach that that covered natural disasters and how we can prevent them. Not necessarily saying, oh, well, if we had less emissions or we had cleaner energy, these events aren't going to happen. It's really the other side of the coin saying, these events are going to happen. What are the companies that are going to, to help uh, prepare, mitigate, defend, and rebuild from these natural disasters? So I'm glad you asked that because that's a really important aspect. This is something that's you know, very different than, than what's out there with a different approach. And that was intentional. That said, your energy generation kind of focuses more on uh, mobile energy generation and storage and things like that, as opposed to renewable energy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since we're kind of getting into the details here, um, what about the weighting uh, in, in your ETF? How, how do you choose the weighting for the stocks? Is it more evenly distributed or are you saying, hey, these are the areas that we want to focus a little bit more on or market cap? Uh, what's, what's your style there? Equal. Okay, it's an equal weighted fund, so that mm -hmm. that uh, which which rebalances 
uh, quarterly reconstitutes annually. Okay, perfect. Well, let's get into some of the members. Um, so if we kind of break this down again, you gave us that structure early on, the pre, the during, and the post. Uh, what what com company is an example of something, uh, someone that's doing something for the preparation part? Yeah, so back to those kind of construction consulting engineering firms. Some of these really large multinational firms actually cover all three of those areas. Yeah. And they may actually even help in the before, during, and after. And one of those examples is AECOM. So they've been around for, for many years in its earliest form of the company back to the early 1900s, um, actually as, a, as an oil company. Um, believe it or not. And as that company evolved over time through acquisitions, through business opportunities and pivots, they became this, this massive engineering consulting construction firm. So they'll actually sit down with municipalities or corporations and they'll look at like what we said, uh, they actually teamed with IBM to be able to build out uh, a different scorecard to find out you know, how these areas are doing, you know, where the risks are and how they can better protect. So they use, you know, at, at its early stage, you know, a technological approach to be able to try to determine and assess where these risks are and how prepared these communities may be. Then they can use their, their massive stable of engineers around the world and figure out, you know, what the best approach of attack is for, for better preparing these areas. And in many cases, they can even do the construction of them. So, you know, whether that's, um, you know, just building new structures to help with, with water, um, they, they've been involved in water treatment and, and other areas as well. So outside of, um, you know, just building things. Um, but what they'll do is they'll, they'll sit down right with, with a FEMA or a municipality and say, hey, here's, here's where your risks are. Here's what you can do to prepare it. And hey, if you'd like, you know, we could help you or we could subcontract things out as well for spe specific types of projects. Um, and so this is, you know, really, truly an early stage approach to figuring out, okay, we know something's going to happen. It's very likely. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. You know, unlike a lot of the stocks that we've been looking at or the stocks that we generally gravitate towards, this one has been doing quite well over the last year and a half. Is there any specific catalyst for, for, for this uh, recently? Why, why it's been uh, doing really well in it and it's uh, only 8.5% off 52 week highs? Mm -hmm. And I should point out that uh, Arusha does have the chart up right now. So for those that are maybe wanting to watch the video, it's at investors.com slash podcast. And the ticker symbol on this is ACM. So go ahead, Andrew. There are a lot of reasons, you know, as we as we've kind of moved out of the, the pandemic world and into whatever this phase is that we're currently in, you know, new projects are, are being taken on. Um, this company does mega projects. You know, mm -hmm. it's not looking at, you know, just building a house here and saying we're done. I mean, <laughs> right. they're, they're, you know, a small project might be building a new sports stadium or something wow. that requires a significant amount of engineering and, and construction mm -hmm. know-how. Um, and, you know, these newer structures, you know, you're paying a fortune to build them. They better be as, as protected as possible to deal with any impending types of natural disasters that, that could be inflicted on it. So it's something that, uh, you know, a company like AECOM is, is um, actually recently won um, as a lead in a joint venture, um, a contract that's helping with uh, protecting here in the United States um, to, to better build and harden infrastructure that we may have. 
Um, they, they also have been a, a very large road uh, uh, builder across the mm -hmm. country. And something, if you've been reading the papers over the last couple of weeks, uh, higher temperatures uh, are something that could really play a toll on highways and roads. And we may actually need to be shifting towards newer technologies to make sure that roads are able to withstand um, these higher temperatures that we've been facing recently. So to the extent that um, you know, we may need to, to rebuild more roads more frequently, that's certainly an area that's you know, uh, a, a side effect of climate change um, that could benefit this company. But um, you know, for all the reasons why, why it's uh, outperforming the market recently, I, I couldn't tell you them all, but it's, it certainly has had a, a fairly um, strong track record over the last uh, several months. No, it makes a lot of sense. Well, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, for stocks to get included into your index. Um, is there a certain criteria? I mean, you, you talked about some of the things that you don't let in because uh, you didn't want to basically uh, turn into a renewable energy you know, ETF or something like that. But are, is there a certain amount of revenue that you're looking for that is specific to, um, to this disaster preparedness? Because I imagine ACOM is doing a lot of things that maybe are outside of that purview. So is there a certain percentage of revenue or, or how do you decide, hey, there's enough of what they're doing that overlaps with our, our investment thesis here that it, it gets included? So believe it or not, you know, many companies don't report um, in any meaningful way revenues from natural disasters. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason uh, is you know, uncertain to, to us. So we look for different things like um, you know, keyword searches to look to build out the universe. And once the universe is, is built out, it's understanding, um, you know, does that actually play a major role for, for these various parts of the natural disaster life cycle, or is it just, you know, a very small part of a business? Um, other things that are, that are important, but not, you know, necessarily required are uh, contracts, either current or recent contracts with FEMA or other related types of agencies around the world. Um, and then there are, you know, these other searches as well for um, things like, um, you know, energy, uh, mobile energy um, providers. So that's how you have a company like a Generac in the fund. Mm -hmm. um, so there are you know, various types of screens, but it is um, extremely difficult to actually determine revenues related from natural disaster related businesses for many companies. For some you can, and that makes our life a lot easier, yeah, right. but because it's so difficult to quantify, um, it was something that was not included in the methodology. Well, and you mentioned Generac, so maybe we could uh, go ahead and go there. Certainly, when you're dealing with a natural disaster, and I mean, this is something that we've seen a lot in California with the wildfires. I mean, PG&E for a while was just saying, look, we're shutting down the grid because we don't want to cause a fire and get sued afterwards. And so uh, for some people, having a Generac was was critical for them to have continuity of power. Uh, so what, what is it about Generac that uh, kind of caught your eye and, and got it included? Generac, I think, is you know, an incredible example of a company that doesn't just provide solutions for companies or municipalities, but also for individuals looking to do something preventative uh, or for preparedness for their own lives, um, understanding that you can't always rely on someone else to solve your problems, um, being able to have the, that equipment or those solutions in-house. Uh, could be could be extremely vital in in some cases a matter of life or death. We saw with the Texas freeze when the grid went down, thousands and thousands of people were left without power for extremely long times. 
Um, people in, in South Florida during Hurricane Andrew, in some cases, were left without power for a month. Um, you know, I, I know people uh, you know, in New Jersey that didn't have power after Hurricane Sandy for extremely long times. And many people that went through that made the decision that I don't want to be put in that position again and went out and bought generators. So the people in town that had the generators became everyone's best friend during the storms <laughs> because that was a place for hopefully for, you know, safe harbor to, to weather out these storms. But, you know, if you think about how much of your life it you know, utilizes electricity on a daily basis, whether that's, you know, charging your phone so you can keep in touch with loved ones, but just keeping your, your food uh, fresh in your refrigerator. Um, you know, and then to think that, you know, someone has life-saving medical devices or equipment that run on electricity, you know, electricity is something that we've all become so reliant upon um, and it's not always there and being able to purchase something that could hopefully protect you in those times of, of greatest need um, is, is something that gives a lot of people some great peace of mind. And Generac is something that's providing for both, you know, people with, you know, small electrical footprints to, to large corporations and energy companies and providing solutions for them. And, you know, when the Texas freeze happened, you know, there were, uh, you know, back orders for, for, you know, roughly a half a year for some of these Generac devices. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Uh, like it's only been like maybe a few years ago is when, when, I started learning about Generac, uh, and and they seem to be the big brand name in this space. But uh, that what was it? Did they just all of a sudden just start to try to cater towards the individual, uh, maybe or or maybe the the, the one with the house uh, versus the larger buildings and, and things like that? Uh, did they just really kind of go towards that individual consumer recently? Uh, I mean, any insight on that? You know, I, I think they've started to heavily market to individuals. Okay. Okay. It, it had for, for a very long time been a business line. Um, but now, you know, I think they're looking at, um, you know, how helpful their products have been to, to many people around the world in recent years. And they're saying, you know, may, maybe people don't know about it. They don't think about it or they don't think about it until it's too late. Right. And by, you know, for them taking advantage of, you know, the awareness factor and letting people know before it's a problem, is certainly a way to to bring on uh, you know, new consumers for them, but they've had uh, you know business and residential focus for for many many years prior. Um, but it's just something that you know you kind of have that effect where you know you have an issue, you learn that someone had you know the cure for it, and right, you know, right. word, word of mouth has certainly helped propel that company forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, let's go ahead and uh, end end the session with a look at kind of the post, uh, what happens afterwards. And uh, you've got, uh, well, we had Generac, G GNRC, and now here's Clean Harbors. CLH is the ticker symbol on this one. Um, this is, seems like it's one that's kind of gotten on our radar a little bit on IBD Live. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what, what it is that they do? Yeah, so you know, uh, a really interesting company, interesting background. Started off, it was uh, you know a founder, a couple of employees, a handful of employees, and a truck, and they wanted to work on waste removal and specifically mm -hmm. hazardous and toxic waste removal. And this is something that you know many people don't think of. You think of you know the the dangers of a storm, whether that's you know the wind, you know having debris fly through the air, which could become a hazard, or the flooding, which brings you know, toxic mold and, you know, could wash people down or pets, you know, down, down the road and, you know, and, you know, you know, those kind of immediate impacts. But when you have these storms, specifically flooding related types of storms, 
there's so much debris that passes through the streets and through fields and through mm -hmm. forests and get picked up and it keeps on going along. Um, it is a major issue and can be something that can make groundwater uh, you know, hazardous and toxic for, for years to come, if not treated quickly and properly. And so when you have uh, you know, natural disasters, or in some cases, even man-made or man-accelerated disasters, like the, the BP oil spill in the Gulf, you know, a little over a decade ago, right. um, you know, cleaning up oil, cleaning up hazardous waste is something that is extremely critical. And Clean Harbors is one of these companies that has grown a tremendous presence um, specifically here in North America, um, you know, the United States, Canada, Puerto Rico, even parts of Mexico, where they are able to allow um, for this quick remediation and hopefully be able to, to make sure that these areas are, are less affected in the future. But it's not necessarily something that you know, an individual homeowner is necessarily thinking about, but it's something that could be you know, just as devastating as a, as a high, high water mark in your home, or an earthquake or other types of disasters. So are they just the leaders in this niche and, and they're not, now they've really just kind of built their, built their moat around it and, and they're really capturing and they're here when this, when more and more cities are recognizing that this is a, an essential service that they need to provide for, uh, for their citizens. Yeah. So, you know, individuals can utilize them even, um, you know, municipalities, corporations, they have 24 seven hotlines to report different types of incidences and people all around North America to help quickly react to this. Um, you know, one stat that I saw that was really interesting is one gallon of oil can cover a surface of, you know, four to 5,000 square feet. If it's on, if it's on water, that's, wow. you know, roughly one gallon yeah. of water covers, uh, you know, roughly five or so New York City, one bedroom, uh, one bedroom apartments. And when you're talking about oil spills, it's usually a lot more than just one gallon. And so having, you know, quick response times, if it's, you know, water, you know, oil can spread 10 to 20 miles in a day, um, depending on, you know, currents and where it actually occurs. So um, you know, having a quick response, sometimes also pairing with other types of companies that can also help um, you know, build up coastlines so you can kind of contain the spread and other things become very critical. Um, but it's something that, you know, is maybe an afterthought for many people. You just, you know, see kind of the devastation to your home and try to figure out how to fix your home. But it's, you know, one of these things that can be, uh, you know, extremely toxic that you might not necessarily realize as much. And companies like Clean Harbors are, are there on call waiting to help with, with any types of cleanup efforts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, certainly it's it's had a lot of very strong earnings growth recently. Uh, I mean, the last quarter was triple digit uh, earnings growth. You've got some solid uh, sales growth as well. So this is certainly uh, one of the reasons why it's been, you know, catching our attention has been just the really strong uh, numbers it's had. And and the the group, the pollution control group, it seems like more and more of these names. I mean, it's not the it's not the real exciting growth tech, you know, type names that we're used to looking at. But pollution control seems to have more and more stocks that are kind of catching our radar in terms of the relative strength versus the S&P 500. Any, um, any, any insights into why this is kind of getting so much attention now? I, you know, may, maybe we're uh, creating more trash and pollution and things like that as, uh, as population grows. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are, you know, consuming more. You've had, you know, many different areas that were, um, you know, more impoverished, where you're seeing more wealth come in. So people, mm -hmm. you know, people around the world have the ability to consume more and that creates waste, unfortunately. Um, you know, and 
that's something that you know, you need to deal with it. And you're also you know running out of space to put it. So whether it's yeah. building new incinerator um, capabilities or other options, recycling and things like that, um, you know, it, it becomes important to look for these other solutions. And um, you know, we're we're taking up more land as well as a species than, than ever before too. So there's, you know, there's fewer places to put it. So, um, you know, as we create more, um, you know, more waste, it's important to be able to get rid of it. And I think that's something that's, you know, truly leading this industry as well. You know, Andrew, I, I, under the rug for so long, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I have to admit, Andrew, I've learned a lot during these uh, two segments, but you've also really scared me. Uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of things going on and a lot no, of these companies that are set to profit from it are, are doing pretty well. No. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of funds that I've been involved with in my past have actually been revolved around, you know, my own personal fears. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, things like, uh, you know, cybersecurity, which actually I think is very analogous to, yes. to this theme as well, where, you know, you know, there's going to be major events. But there are things that you can do to prepare and there's companies and services that you need after these types of attacks happen. Um, you know, it, a lot of a lot of investment ideas that, that I'm very interested in historically have been ones that are areas that are you know, hopefully protecting me or maybe potentially hedging me from some of these other you know, types of fears that can be out there. Well, nothing, nothing wrong with uh, kind of going with what what's personal to you. Uh, certainly, that that's worked for a lot of investors in the past. So, Andrew, got to thank you uh, once again for coming on. It's it's always a pleasure hearing what you're what you're up to and what new things you've got uh, kind of on your on your radar. And and thanks for doing the deep dive on all of this stuff and uh, how how this could be a big investment. Uh, for the future for a lot of people. And, and it's, I, I want to kind of stress, this isn't about profiting from disaster, but you know, to your point, this is about investing in companies that are doing something about it. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate that you recognize that because I think there, there can be confusion, but um, you know, many of these companies you know, should, should be championed for these efforts and for them to have your know, strong capitalization, um, you know, and fundamentals like that. Um, help them be better prepared in the future, build out facilities, build out, um, you know, factories, increase inventory, hire personnel that can help us deal with this as well. So it's important for these companies to be around for our benefits as well. Yeah. Well, great having you back on the show, Andrew. We'll see you again soon, I'm sure. Look forward to it. Thank you. Okay. And when we come back, Arusha and I are going to take a look at the market, talk about a disaster. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, traders. Is inflation hurting you? Have you adjusted your strategies to account for it? Vantage Point can help you beat inflation with patented artificial intelligence. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's AI can give you a massive edge and help you get ahead of inflation. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and find your best entries and exits. That's www.freestockcoaching.com. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors. And uh, Arusha, it was kind of a rough, uh, rough week this past week since we were on last. I mean, things were looking like a, a, a typical pullback and they just got ugly after Jackson Hole and 
just kept going. So let's maybe pull up the NASDAQ for those that are watching on investors.com slash podcast. And uh, let me get your thoughts on what's what's happening here. Yeah, so we, we had that counter trend rally, right? And, and it was a rally. It's always hard to know whether it's the beginning of a bull market or a bear market rally. Uh, but, you know, I think we were all kind of leaning towards it's a bear market rally simply because there are a lot more defensive related industry groups that were near the top of the the list than anything else. Mm -hmm. But uh, both the NASDAQ and S&P ran up to resistance. And so for the NASDAQ, it ran up to around that 13,000 area, got pretty close to the 200-day moving average, and then pulled back. Now, that's all normal action. That's all was expected action. The problem is we don't know how far they're always going to pull back. And this time, they always kind of, just kind of like how it surprised us to the upside, how far it went up. Uh, it, it surprised, at least myself, to the downside, especially after uh, uh, Chairman Powell, uh, you know, gave its eight eight minute and thirty second speech. <laughs> eight minutes and thirty seconds that will will go down in infamy. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I, I I do feel like there was there were, was reason to be cautious as we approached the the two hundred day line and those resistance levels. But yeah, I was I was kind of surprised with the speed with which it went down too. Um, we actually, as of yesterday, we were off ten percent uh, on the Nasdaq from the August sixteenth high. And so for for those that are kind of following, you know, the power trend, that whole idea, um, that that that's a circuit breaker rule that Mike Webster came up with. Um, years, gosh, over a decade ago uh, for, for our market school rules. And that that automatically turns the power trend off and basically says, look, you need to you need to do some healing. This is this is a little bit more serious, a little bit harder of a break. Um, now, certainly it could be capitulation. The selling could be over and, you know, we could go up from here. But it still seems like there's um, it's, it's harder and harder to find setups, uh, even energy, which was looking pretty good that seemed like it was getting on a little bit of shaky ground Uh, a lot of the energy stocks were pulling back considerably and here again it just depends are you looking at the natural gas or the oil Um, because they've they've been kind of acting a little bit differently depending on uh, how how involved the company is with you know one of those fields Um, but you know we we're below the 50-day moving average line now uh, all, all the indexes really sliced through it, except for the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 um, did hold above it yesterday, but it's 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 right there. You know, it's the only one above it, but it it doesn't have much room. So, um, how how has that affected your portfolio? I mean, you were already kind of lightly invested. Uh, did that just completely knock you out, or uh, do you still have a little bit? Yeah, I I think. I during the the rally in August, I I got up to maybe twenty percent, twenty five percent. So mm-hmm. it did pull me in because uh, it, it just kept me kept giving me more and more reasons to get in. Uh, but now I'm I'm probably down to around ten percent, thirteen for around there, ten to thirteen percent. Uh, so I I haven't got completely out. Uh, I'm still holding on to some names. They're they're all small positions, yeah. but the the ones that I'm up not up a lot, but they're I'm up. I'm still trying to give them a little bit of room, because I'm trying not to just assume that the market's done for, right? Mm-hmm. And that we're going to go to new lows and we're going to be out down for a while. I, I think August showed us that the market's going to do what it wants to do. 
right? And it's it's up to us to listen to it and try to be as objective as possible. And so what it's done right now for all of these indexes, run up to the 200-day or near the 200-day and pull back to the 50 and maybe some for a number of them slightly below the 50. Uh, but the bigger thing, and, and you were getting to this, Justin, is underneath the surface, you have some stocks acting well, but you've lost a bunch of others. Uh, and so it's now we're back kind of that small subset of stocks that are hanging in there. And some of them are still hanging in there pretty well. Uh, and so if you have some of those stocks, you, you've earned the right to say, you know what, let me give it a little bit more room. Uh, but I just don't see that kind of broad based kind of participation where you should be that heavily invested, at least. And that, that's my experience. Now, if, if you're completely in sync with this market and you're maybe you're in a ton of energy stocks or um, some of the other areas that have been working really well, then you've earned the right to be a lot more uh, invested if, if you want to. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are afraid of, OK, you know, because we came down so sharply, because we crossed through the 50 day moving average line, we're we're going to knock out the lows and it's going to be another leg down. And, um, you know, cats and dogs are going to be, you know, flying in the streets and, you know, all sorts of mayhem is going to break out. But I think that there's just the possibility and we've been talking about this is we could just be range bound for a little yeah. while. You know, there's there is uncertainty. There's this you know whole thing of how how well is the fed going to be able to manage this you know quote unquote soft landing i think you know some people are starting to question um you know and, and especially with jerome powell using words like pain you know that that's not generally what people think of as a soft landing um, i mean he pulled know. a clubber lang right there he, he said <laughs> you know, what, what's your prediction pain yeah right so uh yeah this kind of sounded like mr t to me you know i, I could just imagine it's being said in his voice uh so yeah i i i think a lot of people are wondering you know how bad is that gonna get you know and um how how aggressive is the fed gonna need to be to to combat uh the inflation and um yeah i, I think that uncertainty is something that could make us go back and forth for a little bit as as we kind of ride that wave of hopefulness that maybe it won't be so bad and the soft landing is possible to the despair of oh this is going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot yeah I, I i think the incremental approach continues to be the best approach you know slowly move in slowly move out and there's going to come a point where you just keep moving in and all of a sudden you're heavily invested and maybe eventually on margin and then there are other times where you just keep slowly moving on and all of a sudden they're, you're completely out. Right. Uh, and, and so right now, you know, I've been slowly moving out. I'm definitely uh, lower exposure, but not completely out. Uh, and and so I, I think instead of trying to predict what what's going to happen, you just listen to the market. Uh, that's going to lead you to the right direction. Uh, and there will come a time where all of a sudden, once again, they're going to be all, all these bases setting up, all these stocks breaking out. And we're going to wonder, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that happens so many times. You know, as bad as the news can be, uh, you can have a number of stocks that are setting up. And that's kind of what forces your hand a lot of times. It's like, well, but, but the market has a follow-through day. And 
I've got these individual stocks that are setting up and that combination uh, for a lot of us is, is just too hard to resist. So, And then Justin, one other thing is now September traditionally has been a little bit harder month, right? Maybe yeah. maybe it's even the worst month of the year. Right. In the I was stock just thinking market. about how when we had Jeffrey Hirsch on, you know, from the Stock Traders yes, Almanac yes, at the beginning of the year good. and that seasonality yep. that he talks about. But the the one thing that, that uh, Jeff said is that and there were a couple of things lined up, right? So September is usually a very tough month. And then once you get to October to the end of the year, the, the markets have a tendency to do better. Uh, but also in the pre- presidential cycle that he talked about, right? Yeah. Where that second year of pre- presidential cycle, it's a tough year. But once you get to October, that's usually the low in the stock market for that presidential cycle, especially for a first term president. Uh, and so that that's what I've been kind of eyeing ever since Jeff uh, spoke about it in January. And so maybe all those things kind of line up for we have a, a, a little bit of a rally at uh, into the end of the year, starting sometime in October or whatever. You know, once again, that is predicting a little bit there. But those are some of those seasonalities that could work in our favor. But that being said, we have to survive September if, if yeah. that's the case. Right. <laughs> right. And and while it's OK to have a thesis and a prediction, um, when it comes down to it, you're going to be watching the individual action in the stocks and the day by day action in the price and volume of the stock market indexes themselves. So uh, thanks for that analysis, Arusha. And on the show next week, we're going to have Jared Tendler back. Uh, Jared, is, he was just on IBD Live and it was funny. He was on during that whole Jackson Hole um, you know, speech that uh, Jerome Powell was giving. And of course, you know, Jared is all about the psychology and it was nice having that kind of psychology aspect to talk about. Uh, while while that was happening. And so it's going to be great to welcome Jared back to the show. Uh, we'll, we'll chat a little bit about how people can learn from their experiences, maybe in this rougher market and, uh, you know, all sorts of things that they can do to become better investors by managing their psychology. So we hope you join us for that next week. Thanks for watching us this week, and we'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for watching Investors Business Daily on YouTube. If you want to watch more videos, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing.